Well, I guess I wanted us to kind of get together a little bit and help um, help us express ourselves. Like theology of the body for me is really about like who I am. And I wanted, I've been at this church for 30 years, but I'm working with people and I see people here at parish, at the parish that I kind of really don't know them or I don't know that they know me. And I think theology of the body for me that I love that like wanting to be known. I think our kids want to be known, want to be seen, want to be loved. And so um, I just wanted to, sh- maybe this first podcast, this first little intro, a little bit about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would just love to share a little bit about um, what inspires me about Theology of the Body and about myself. I have a huge family, came from a huge family, raised in, in Illinois, and then we moved to the South. I'm the oldest of seven, uh, studied psychology, so grew up in a great family. I mean, we had certainly huge struggles, but something about it was you know I wanted there was that love that happens in a big family I think families are the key to you know that's just where you learn how to love you learn how to love and be loved you learn how to be forgiven so anyway then I started studying how that can go astray and how we end up using each other or things get messed up or think bad things happen and then people feel unloved and I just really relate to that with kids. So I started studying particularly how to help kids in those kind of situations and adults. Um, so somehow I just, you know, I just really love like connecting the two, um, the psychology part of like just, but helping people feel loved. You know, I think that's I think like the so key. the important part of that is how we encounter people because in the family, we either are able to have those authentic encounters with one another and to know each other and to be able to love each other or not. And when we are incapable of seeing the family as a place of encounter, a place of uh, knowing others and being known and really learning how to do that, what happens? Disorder. That's where, that's when you right. come in as a therapist trying to teach people how to be known and how to know others in a, an appropriate way. And it happens in every family. We're all on that continuum. So mm-hmm. I think puberty is tough. Like we, ha- we're, you know, we have kids who are when I was a when I was in middle school, it's tough. You're not feeling loved or you're not, or bad things are happening at different stages or your family is not at its best at certain stages. Parents drift apart. You know, divorce can happen in really good families, healthy families, healthy marriages can have big problems. But yeah, then swinging back to the middle because, okay, I'm still loved. That's not who I am. That's not my identity. So I just feel like there's, it's so cool the way God made us that we're more than like what happens to us. But I'd love to hear about y'all, like kind of what you're thinking about theology, theology of the body or about yourself that you would love to be, uh, what would you like to put out there so that people know you more? Well, I've spoken. Peyton, why don't you get in, uh, jump on here. <laughs> All right. So um, I guess what I think about theology of the body, kind of going off what you said, Lori, um, is like innately as human persons, I think we we seek what is true, good, and beautiful and whole. Um, so coming from a broken family life myself, um, I have just always had this desire to pursue (coughs) goodness and to find truth. Um, And I think theology of the body, uh, when I first heard it in high school at my Catholic school was kind of this, um, this answer to everything that like I already knew deep down once they articulated it, it just put articulation to um, all these thoughts I already had kind of swirling around in my head. And I was like, oh, all of that makes so much sense. Like it's it's almost common sense, but I guess you don't really observe that or acknowledge it until it's um, articulated in the way that Theology of the Body so beautifully puts it. 
Yeah, that makes helped sense. you put it into words. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Because that's where I first encountered theology of the body yeah. was in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that word encounter just because, and as Lori, I like the fact that you brought up that even in, we'll say, good marriages, there's still that brokenness that can enter into it. And when we ignore those things, again, I think it's a, a, that lack of encounter. Like, I, there's something that's broken here, and rather than meet it head on, then we just kind of shy away from it. Let's just put that to the side, put that to the side. And one day you can't put it to the side anymore, but now it's so far gone rather than being able to sit and to know each other and to see your beloved uh, bride or your beloved husband. And to, it's like, no, there's something wrong here. And we can, our marriage through the sacramental grace can bear the weight of this. Mm-hmm. Because And we can have this encounter rather than, well, I'm afraid and to live in that fear of, well, I don't know what would happen if we discuss this. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid Mm -hmm. to enter into that because what happens, it's like something's broken. I'm afraid to go there because what happens if it's it's broken? Mm -hmm. What is broken? You know it's broken. Go there. Bring the Lord there. That's when we have, uh, you know, if needed. Bring therapists and involved in that conversation. Definitely bring the Lord into that conversation. Um, yeah, and what I love about theology of the body is that it kind of teaches us that basic sense of having a reverence for everybody. I just love that word that, like, how um, often do we use that word? But reverence is like, if we can have reverence for ourselves in that place of, oh, my parents are having a divorce, but I still have a love for myself, or I'm still okay. You said a homily the other day on it's okay to be not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, we just really have, I love how... Our faith teaches us to have reverence for ourselves in places of pain or in puberty or in when our friends are not necessarily the best friend that mm-hmm. they said they would be. Or, yeah, if our parents end up kind of messing up in some way, too. It's like there's still so much reverence that we that God allows us to have for ourselves and others. That That's my word for the year, anyway. Yeah. Reverence. The, uh, so I know you asked kind of what's that part of, TOB that kind of is on my heart. And I mean, it's hard to say like, what's your favorite part? Because it kind of depends <laughs> yeah, on it's something so that I regular go, regularly go to and I regularly turn to. And, uh, but mm-hmm. I would say what's been on my heart recently, uh, John Paul II in Love and Responsibility talks about the different uh, effective love, which is not authentic love. And this effective love, we essentially make uh, this image of a person, this perfect person that no one would ever actually be able to be. And then, so let's say you enter into marriage and you have this perfect ideal image of your spouse (laughs) and then you get married and they're not this perfect person. And that effective love essentially becomes effective hatred. You're not the person that I married. You're not that person. Well, actually, no, they are the person that you married, but you made an unrealistic expectation upon them and you put them on this pedestal that could not exist. And that's how we don't reverence others. That's mm-hmm. when rather than encountering them for who they are, right. we're not reverencing them. We're actually, uh, we're hurting them yeah. by putting them on an unrealistic. I mean, the only person that we can put on that level of a pedestal is Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And then we right. try to make them Jesus. Well, you're not Jesus. So therefore I hate you and you're not who I love. <laughs> right. And well, it was, wasn't it Fulton Sheen who said, love is a decision, love's not a feeling. Mm-hmm. So like, it's going to 
you're not going to always feel that excitement. So that affect mm-hmm. may come and go. Right. Because really recognizing we're a person first. That's what I love about love and responsibility. That whole emphasis on a person. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's like an under overused word too. Like what? Is, so yeah, we're all, we know we're a person, but like to be a human person, not an avatar. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. kind of something we can really like think about a little bit more. To have mm-hmm. a body and a soul, yeah, it's one of the. What's your like main, if main message is? is do you have a go-to message, Peyton, for theology of the body? Um, I'll just use the tagline that we would always refer back to in the Culture Project, which is a group of missionaries that exists to promote the messages of theology of the body, and it was we tried the culture and found it wanting. Mm. So, I think our world is just very um, back to that word brokenness, um, very broken, and has these false ideas um, based on what people seek that they think is good because we want goodness, like we want to strive for for love and goodness, right? Um, but things just get twisted out there in the world and distorted. And um, back to overused words, um, love I think is super overused in our culture. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, I love Cheez-Its. And I love, I love when, tacos. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I do really enjoy tacos. Yes. Um, or like, I love the fall instead of the winter months or something. I don't know. We just very much overuse that word to the point where I think we forget the essence of it and what it really means to truly love and reverence yeah. another human person. And that, um, that word is really like reserved for that, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I know that there's different types of love, like agape and, and all that. And mm-hmm. we could go into that another time. But um, yeah, I just, I find it interesting. It, it really just fascinates me how our culture um, distorts stuff um, yeah. and how the messages of theology of the body can kind of speak back into that and straighten out, smooth out some lines, yeah. if that makes sense. Thank goodness. What I've noticed as, I, so actually, Real quick, one of the things that I love about what we're doing here, so you have a celibate priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Peyton and JP, you have been married now for... Exactly how, six months. Exactly Woo! six months. Mm-hmm. Lori and Gary, you have been married now for... 32. 32. We're going with 32. You don't seem very confident on that. 20, sure uh, Gary 1990. Okay. 30, I'm 32 years old. You were married the same year I was wow. born. Woo. So I know Lori just kind of gave me a look. You can't see that, but she just gave me kind of a look. But... Uh, so I love kind of the combination of different perspectives, worldviews, everything, but all that love for theology of the body. And as a celibate priest, one thing that I found hilarious during mm-hmm. my time in formation and still now as a priest, uh, I find people say like, so you, you can't get married. Um, <laughs> and I said, well, I chose, I chose this. Like, first of all, like no one forced this upon me. Like, let me be clear on that. And they're like, well, but you can like, you can date. And I'm going, no, 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 that's, I, I can't date either. And, and then they go, well, you can, you know, and I'm like, I, what? And I make them name it. And honestly, so they'll be like, like, you, you can't have sex. And so right there, what are they, first of all, what are they reducing marriage down to? What are they really concerned mm, to? Good point. Their concern yeah. is not whether I can get married or not, but can I have sex? Mm-hmm. So what have they reduced marriage to? Sex. What have they reduced love to? Sex. Mm-hmm. That is the only meaning of marriage. For and there, they've just continually reduced it down to its most quote unquote important aspects. They don't ask me 
how do you receive intimacy? Mm-hmm. They don't ask me that. They don't mm-hmm. ask me how do you encounter people on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't ask me uh, what do I do if I find myself feeling alone or lonely. They don't ask those questions. Their concern is one thing, sex. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's And that's how they've reduced down marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to think how the culture just puts that out there. That yeah, that's thanks what, for the culture project. Yeah, you worked with some great kids on that very mess. I mean, some you had a, mm-hmm. a great project that works with kids all over the nation on that very thing, mm-hmm. marriage and how to love, yeah. Our world has definitely over-sexualized everything. I think to the point even where um, people have reduced not just marriage down to mm-hmm. sex, but just like human existence, like almost like that's our end goal and purpose. And I... Mm-hmm. I, that just always really bothered me yeah. <laughs> um, growing so up. I was like, I feel like we're yeah. so much more than that. Like, isn't isn't the human person um, more just like this kaleidoscope of many things instead of just this right. reduced to this um, one thing, right. Right. you know? And I think our culture's been confused about that for years. Since the beginning. My parents definitely were confused about that. Yeah. <laughs> that generation. I, I, I always laugh with people who are kind of, we'll say, raised in like the 60s and stuff like that, because they'll, I love when they'll be like, you know, your generation, I'm like, your generation brought us Woodstock, okay? <laughs> like, don't pretend like my generation somehow like destroyed sexual morality or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's not the case. This is something that the culture struggled with for centuries. Mm-hmm. But theology of the body uh, helps us to not reduce love to sex, but mm-hmm. actually shows us what is love. And hopefully that's what we're going to be going through through these podcasts and really being able to open up that love is not reducible to that, Mm -hmm. but it is something greater. It is something more. It's more powerful than that. And when we're able to unpack the true meaning of love and encounter, that's when great things happen. And we don't just reduce it there to that smallest level. Yeah, beautifully said. And so before we end, I'd like to just... um, uh, throw out a question that comes from our students. We uh, ask our middle school students um, when we do the Theology of the Body program here at St. Margaret Mary once a month, we ask the students to come up with any questions they want to ask us, uh, and we'll try to answer as uh, openly and as deeply as we can. And here's one that has to do with love, and which I I'll be willing point to... Out, so I want to point out before you read this, uh, Peyton and I have not seen this question. So we want... I mean, the reality <laughs> is you all are going to be asked, whoever's listening to this, going to be asked these kind of questions probably off the cuff and things like that. So if we have had time to like prepare a, you know, very pristine answer and like we've been praying about it for several days, like how does that mimic how when your child says, uh, you know, whatever this question is going to be, how does that mimic like what your response would be? So we're going to be as cut off guard as you are. So... Lori, right. read well, the this question. is the first question I thought I would just throw out for our as we end today. Is there someone who God doesn't love? Mm. Great question from a middle schooler. I think I've had this question before myself. Anybody have any thoughts? Is there someone who God doesn't love? Mm. Mm. I Do would say me. God is love, so I I don't think he could go against his very nature and mm. not love someone because that is against the. Uh, essence, there's that word again, of yeah. who he yeah. is. Good. And I'm sure you have a lot more theological, better but things I, to I say mean, to elaborate, I'm not sure Father Adam. This much, uh, <laughs> so the fact that is there someone that, I mean, whether they, this is their intention and the question, is, I see, I hear it as, is there a person who God, mm-hmm. God does not mm-hmm. love? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. God has created out of love 
to love us entirely. That's kind of an essential point of our faith. And so I've had people tell me like, you know, if, if there's a chance that Hitler could be in heaven, I don't want to go there. And I'm like, there's a, I mean, a chance for redemption for all and not based on anything else other than God's mercy. The Lord desires all of us to go there. I, I have no idea who's in heaven, who's in hell, or anything, any of those details. But can't we rejoice in God's mercy and God's love for us? Mm. Um, and so the answer I would say is God just loves all of us. God loves every person. Um, so no. Yeah. Well, thank you, friends, for join, joining, gathering together for this first little conversation on TOB. And uh, we hope to do more of these, and we definitely want to offer up this time for all of our students, the prayer intentions of our students. Uh, Students are praying for uh, all those families affected by Hurricane Ian. Students are praying for their parents. Students are praying for their families. And so we ask, Sacred Heart of Jesus, please uh, be with us in all of our moments and all of our body and soul. Amen. 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 Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening.